Welcome to Rock Strikes 10, the show guaranteed to always give you 10 songs, no more, no less. My name is Joey. I want to thank everybody for tuning in to the show here today. Those of you listening to it on cnjradio.com, or if you've subscribed on iTunes, or however else you're listening to it, thank you so much. I appreciate you listening. I appreciate the new listeners, and thank you for letting me know that you're out there. I thank all of you. I thank all of you for listening to this. It really means a lot. So, all right. The theme of the show today is going to focus on just kind of something that fell into my lap here. Uh, the first CD I purchased this year in 2012 was actually the Scorpions' new release called Come Black, which I don't understand why it's called that. However,. <laughs> I was actually initially on the fence about even wanting to hear this album, uh, but actually the samples of it sold me, so I went ahead and purchased it. The album itself is not a new studio album per se. A few years ago, the Scorpions announced that they would be retiring, in fact, after nearly like 45 years of recording and touring. 45 years, man. (laughs) And they released an album called Sting in the Tail, and proceeded to go on a massive world tour, and that was supposed to be it. Like it was going to be like a three-year tour. Um, but since then, I don't think they've really changed their mind about retiring. It's probably going to be one of those retiring on a full-time basis and doing small tours here and there afterwards, but not a full-scale world tour ever again. I, I'm assuming that's the case, much like what Maiden does now. So, but all of a sudden, this album's coming out, and you know, whether you think it's for money reasons or artistic reasons, uh, there will be many debate on this, as there always is when bands do this. They decided to re-record a lot of their greatest hits. Uh, of course, that gives them ownership of those particular performances. I'm assuming they don't own their masters, or else they wouldn't bother doing this at all. All their old original masters. I, I think uh, Universal probably has most of those for sure. So they re-record their greatest hits, and that's half the album. The other half of the album is studio tracks, but they're all covers. And, uh, you know, uh, personally, I would have preferred that they just do an entire covers album, because, you know, I'm I'm a sucker for, for covers. I like covers. I think they're fun. Uh, there's always a debate about them, whether they're valid or not, or just the particular performances, if it adds something to it, or what have you. Uh, I, I would have liked to have had an entire covers album, or you know, just the, the half of the album they did covers, just put it out as an EP. I'm cool with that too. I mean, uh, either way they wanted to do it, but the album was cheap enough when I bought it. I think I paid like seven, eight dollars for it, brand new on Amazon. So yay, EP price pretty much at that point nowadays. Uh, but it got me thinking. You know, I, I I didn't hate the re-recordings like I thought I would even though, for the most part, they're tuned down a little bit more because, you know, Klaus, hey, Klaus Mana is one of the great lead singers of all time, in my opinion. But, you know, I guess he couldn't hit some of those high notes for the studio recordings. I'm not sure. That has to be the only reason why you would drop tune on your on your old hits. But, you know, hey. Um, still got a lot of respect for Klaus, even if he can't sing as high as he used to. Uh, he still sings better than 99% of the guys out there, for sure. I've, I saw him on the Sting in the Tail tour, and the, the whole band was excellent. So, anyway, so let's get to the point of the theme here this week. It got me thinking, 
what bands or singers have gone back into the studio, re-recorded some of their more famous songs, or just re-recorded any of their songs in general, which ones have I actually liked? I was very surprised I actually found 10. I, I was not expecting it because I usually hate when people re-record their stuff. I've, I'm a vocal champion against it for the most part. There's a whole slew of old rock and roll songs and old soul and R&B songs where they go back in and re-record them. And I think a lot of that was they all got ripped off back in the day, so they took the studio advance of the re-recordings, and ironically, they probably made more money off those versions than they did with the original versions. You could debate that. I'm sure there's a lot of cases where that's true. But, hey, what re-recordings are out there that I actually like and don't mind? And this isn't me saying it replaces the original God. No, it does not. But I figured I would shine a spotlight on some of the better ones out there. There's ten I have here that I think are easy ones to go for. So since I talked enough about the Scorpions' Come Black album, you know, originally I was going to play a cover off of it just because uh, I was maybe going to do another cover show, but I thought, hey, let's go with this re-recording thing. So I'm going to play you what I think is the best performance of their re-recordings on this album. And here you go. This is a well-known Scorpion song. And here's the kickoff track this week. This one is The Zoo. Call it 
That was the Scorpions reinterpreting their classic, The Zoo. And you could find that off of their new CD called Come Black. On that album, I'll go ahead and tell you, they re-record their hits Rhythm of Love, No One Like You, The Zoo, which you heard, Rock You Like a Hurricane, of course, Blackout, Wind of Change, and Still Loving You. And like I said, those performances are fine. I mean, there's nothing, you know, absolutely home run about them. I think The Zoo is probably the best one on there, in my opinion as far as, uh, you know, just the overall performance and how I felt about it. Uh, like I said, for me, the show is the covers here on the album. Uh, their version of Tainted Love, if you haven't heard that yet, is really cool. Go check that out. And the rest of the ones on there, they do T-Rex's Children of the Revolution, Beatles Across the Universe, Small Faces, Tin Soldier, The Kinks All Day and All the Night, and The Stones' Ruby Tuesday. If you are interested to hear how the Scorpions do those songs, go check it out. Get it off iTunes or Amazon or however. So there you go. I, I recommend the album. Like I said, I didn't pay too much for it, so I didn't feel ripped off. So there you go. That's that's all you can hope for, right? Uh, speaking of covers, there is a really good cover of The Zoo, if you haven't heard it, by Bruce Dickinson of Iron Maiden. When he was solo, he did a version of The Zoo that wound up on the, uh, the old ECW Extreme Wrestling soundtrack. That's a great performance. There's a lot of people I know that are Maiden fans that haven't heard that version. It's so good. And I'm sure that'll make a future episode down the line. But that ties in. Speaking of Iron Maiden, I'm going to play a song by Iron Maiden. Wait, what? What song did they re-record from their past? Well, here it is. When they got back together with Bruce Dickinson in 1999, 
they put out a three-disc uh, career-slash-video game set called Ed Hunter, which basically was their top 20 songs as voted on by the fans of the band, plus a shoot 'em up style video game featuring their longtime mascot, Eddie. So I, I thought it was a cool idea, you know. And uh, I still have my copy. It's a lot of fun and uh, great memories of that record just because of the tour. That was the first time I got to see Maiden was on the Ed Hunter tour with my buddy Logan. We actually talked about that on that metal episode. And uh, on this Ed Hunter album, which... Uh, like I said, a lot of people don't know that they've done this version, but they have a song off of their second album called Killers, and that's a great album. Those first two albums with Paul Diano on vocals are great metal albums for sure. And I guess they, it's like, you know, I'm sure the question always came up, what if Bruce had recorded those songs in the studio with him? You know, I guess I'm glad that they'd never re-recorded all the songs, but, you know, it's nice to hear. I mean, of course he sings a lot of these songs live because they still remain the set list to this day. But anyway, I thought this was a really cool version, and I'm glad it was a nice little gimme for people that already had all the songs on Ed Hunter. So here it is. This is Iron Maiden re-recording. I guess they probably took the original track and just put Bruce's vocal over it. That's that's what I think. I think they remixed the song slightly, and then they just had Bruce go in and do the vocals. But either way, here is a really cool 1999 version of Wrathchild. Here you go. Now I spend my time looking all around For a man 
All right, that was Iron Maiden with Bruce Dickinson on lead vocals, reinterpreting the song they originally did with Paul Diano, Wrathchild. That's one of my personal favorite Maiden songs of all time, no matter who's singing it. So I wanted to put that on the show here tonight. Hope you like that. If you never heard it, let me know what you think of it. Let me know what you think of all these songs, of course. I'm always going to ask you that. Now, there are a few artists out there that could re-record their entire catalog, and people wouldn't really bat an eye hardly, I don't think. And this is one of them. David Bowie, the consummate artist slash rock star. Uh, David Bowie re-recorded a, you know, a non-hit of his, so that's a pretty cool, safe thing to do. So David decided to re-record a song that he did back in 1970, 1969, 1970, kind of on the cusp there, but it was a song called Conversation Piece that he originally recorded for the album that wound up being Space Oddity, and it was the B-side on the Prettiest Stars single, and you know, I don't I don't know if he's just not happy with the original version or if he just liked the song enough and he wanted to bring it to new light. But either way, he re-recorded the song Conversation Piece uh, during the Heathen Sessions in 2001-2002. And the original intention for this particular track was on an album that has still never been released to this day. It was supposed to be an album called Toy. It's a very popular what-if in the David Bowie fan world. But Toy never came out. But they did wind up putting this track on the bonus disc to the Heathen CD release. So have it here to play for you. Hope you like this one. This is David Bowie with a re-recording of a song that was 32 years old from the time he recorded it to the next time he recorded it. This is Conversation Piece. Took this walk to ease my mind Find out what's snowing at me Wouldn't think to look at me That I spent a lot of time in education All seems so long ago Not a talker No one to talk to anyway I can't see the road For the rain in my eyes I live above the grocery store About his broken English Tries to be a friend to me But for all the years of reading conversation I stand without a word to say Oh, 
twos or threes or more While the light that shines above the grocer's store Investigates my face so rudely And my essays lying scattered on the floor Fulfill their needs just by being there And my hands shake, my head hurts My voice sticks inside my throat I'm invisible and young And no one will recall me And I can see the water Through the tears in my That was David Bowie with Conversation Piece, a re-recording done in 2002 from a song he wrote in 1969. That's probably one of the only tracks I would tell you in the handful of re-recordings that I say actually best the original. I think that's a lot better version than the original. So there is a case where you can go back in, re-record your thing, and it's actually worth the time. So, of course, David Bowie did it. You know, he's, he's way ahead of the curve, always has been. And uh, here's another band. Uh, based in the realm of Britain, that you know, I don't, I don't know if this is going to surprise you or not, but I do like this band pretty well. Uh, I'm going to play you a song by The Cure, and The Cure wound up being obligated to release one more album at one point for their label in the early 2000s, so they didn't want to do a new record for them, so they decided they'd put out a greatest hits. But the cool catch was they wanted to go back into the studio, do Basically, the one disc is the original Greatest Hits, and then the second disc would be the same exact track listing, but all done live in the studio acoustically. So it's not a concert, it is a studio recording. So I get it in here based on that technicality. <laughs> but uh, I really thought this was a cool idea. Uh, you know, that That's a very acceptable way, I think, for a band to go in and re-record their material, their classic material. So, uh, and, you know, you might say to yourself, hey, you know, if I have this Cure Greatest Hits, I can go out and buy it. Well, you're going to have to go look for it because I know that the acoustic disc was only on the first pressing of the Greatest Hits. So, hopefully it's not too hard to find anymore. But just in case, I'm including a track on here on today's show. This is a good one. This is, of course, very uh, Cure-esque. You want to turn the lights off and light candles and all that good stuff. This is uh, one of their more famous songs, originally from 1989. Here's the 2001 re-recording, reinterpretation on an acoustic tip. This is Lullaby. Spy. 
with Lullaby. Like I said, that was on the Cure's Greatest Hits release on the bonus disc called Acoustic Hits, officially. If you can find that CD for not too much, I do recommend it. If you have nothing at all by The Cure, that's the one to go get. And I'm, you know, I'm I'm not a huge Cure fan. I, I, I like the band enough, but I've never dived deep enough to go get all the studio records. I, you know, maybe I will change that eventually, but... For now, I'm I'm cool with a couple of best ofs, a couple of essential records. The original version of that was on Disintegration, and that's that's of course a great Cure record to go get. So there's a few different buying options there for you. And now we're gonna stay on the acoustic thing, but an entirely different kind of band. <laughs> Something that's probably a little more familiar with uh, the Rock Strikes 10 fan base, and one of my first favorite bands ever. I'm going to play you a song by Quiet Riot. Uh, Quiet Riot 
you know, one of my biggest regrets musically ever on on the concert level is I, I, I know I had a chance to see that original lineup. Kevin Debro, Carlos Cavazzo, Rudy Sarzo, Frankie Benali, and I just, I, I don't know why. I, I never got to see him. I don't remember why, but I know they came through here a few times once they got back together in the late 90s, so I'm really kicking myself because obviously it's never going to happen again. Uh, of course, due to the unfortunate passing of Kevin Debro, and, you know, it's just, it's just very unfortunate, but, uh, but yeah, like I said, uh, "Come on, feel the noise" was probably one of the first 45s I ever had. Period. And so, and I, of course, the Metal Health album is an essential album to me. I I rank it very high, especially with 80s albums. But uh, so I'm always gonna have a major, major soft spot for Quiet Riot. I'm sorry, but that's just the way it is. When they got back together in the late 90s, they put out a release called "Alive and Well." which uh, it kind of almost kind of mirrors the Scorpions thing, but it's a little different. The first half of the album was all brand new studio recordings, original material, and then the second half of the album was re-recordings of their biggest hits from their initial run. This is one of the best examples of a band going back in and re-recording their stuff. You know, I guess it probably seemed pretty obvious because it's such a 90s thing to do was to play it acoustically, but this is one of those great songs. I love both versions of this, and not that this version replaces the original, but it's damn good. So check it out. This is a song that was originally on the Metal Health album, that classic album. This is a nice tender one. This one's Don't Wanna Let You Go.
Now, for those of you who think that a Quiet Riot song, much less a re-recorded Quiet Riot song, is a double whammy, if you did not enjoy that song, then I, I don't know what to tell you, because I think that's damn good performance, like I said before. So good, and further proof that, you know... It's easy to give Quiet Ride a lot of flack because their two biggest hits are Slade covers. You know, I, I get it. I can't defend things like that. And the fact that their label president co-wrote a lot of songs for them. But there are songs that they wrote by themselves as a group. Songs like that that I think give them merit. And I think they're pretty damn underrated. You know, it's not just the band that had the first number one album as a heavy metal band you know, in the 80s. Uh, it's so much more than that, and I, I, I don't think they ever really got a whole lot of respect. And some of it they did to themselves, but I think they kind of get the shaft historically still. But there you go. There's my little mini rant there for the night. That was Quiet Riot with Don't Want to Let You Go, a re-recorded studio version, semi-acoustic, and that's on the album called Alive and Well. Like I said, it's half original and half greatest hits re-recorded. There's some really good originals on there, and plus a cover of ACDC's Highway to Hell, which is a lot of fun. Hearing uh, Kevin there tear it up on Highway to Hell is pretty fun. Maybe you'll hear that on a future episode. So, Moving on, we're going to get to some more re-recorded gems here. I'm going to play you a band. This is their Rock Strikes 10 debut, and this is one of those bands that I never gave a fair chance to back when they were first out, but... It's one of those things, you know, there are some bands out there that your uh, significant other can get you into that you might resist early on, but then you finally, and in my case, see them live, really for the first time hearing most of their songs, and and I, I couldn't help it. It's just such a fun band. I'm going to play a song by Bowling for Soup. If you've never given Bowling for Soup a chance, if you don't like to have fun, if you don't like catchy songs, then maybe they're not for you, but... I think that they're tons of fun, and I almost prefer going to see them live. They're such a fun live band, and <laughs> every show has got to be completely different because the stuff that comes out of their singer Jarrett's mouth is uh, entertaining and weird, and I I can't imagine him saying the same thing twice, uh, you know. So, yeah. Like I said, great live band, Bowling for Soup, and their records are very cool, very fun, but like I said, you should really go catch them live. You know, they... They do the fairs and they, they play the clubs still, so go check them out if they come to your town. I guarantee rock fun. I'm giving you Rock Strikes 10 guarantee there. Now, one of their first hits that really got them noticed on radio is a song called The Bitch Song, and they re-recorded it last year uh, as an iTunes bonus track for a single release. So I guess technically this is also a B-side, so we're carrying over from the previous episode. Here you go. This is Bowling for Soup with a re-recording of The Bitch Song. Here you go. Is it okay if I speak to you today? You've been pissed off for a week now, but not Is there anything that I can do? 
right, there you go. The always fun Bowling for Soup with 2011 version of the Bitch Song. And you can pretty much find that one on iTunes exclusively. There's my iTunes commercial for the night. Uh, like I said, just a fun band. And I know they're huge in Europe. I know that's a generic thing to say, but big in Europe, big in Japan. They are those things. And over here, they get paid by Disney pretty much. So I think they deserve all of it. Yeah, you know, they're so big out there in Europe and Japan that even when they're not touring, they'll send a couple of their guys out there to do acoustic shows, and they do well. That's how huge they are overseas. So they like to have fun. Hey, what can you say? You know, like I said, I guarantee fun if you go see them. I don't, I don't know why they ever got the mall punk tag because to me that's just power pop. You know, power pop rock. So with a little bit of, uh, I guess they distort their guitars a little more so they get the punk tag, whatever. But Hey, it's all music as long as it's catchy and fun for me. I'm I'm good. So, and here's another band of a uh, similar era and you already know I'm a big fan of this band if you if you're a long-time listener of the show. I'm going to play something by the Donnas. The Donnas have re-recorded quite a bit of their material here and there. I'm assuming that their reasoning for doing it is because their original recordings are pretty rough. And it may not appeal to everybody. I like all those old versions, so don't get me wrong. I don't think these new versions replace the old ones, but I am actually kind of glad they're out there because they wrote some really cool, catchy songs that perhaps with better production, they could have been hits. And I think this is one of those examples. This really probably could have been a hit, but, uh, you know, I remember actually hearing this version like in a Target commercial like years ago before they ever released it officially and I was like oh where can I get that and it never really surfaced until way later this is off their compilation birthday album called Greatest Hits Volume 16 to commemorate their 16 years in rock and roll it's a cool record it's a hodgepodge of re-recordings and some alternate mixes of songs that were on their Atlantic albums and uh, I, I think it's a really cool record, and it's got some new material on there as well. So if you really like their Bitchin' album, which was, as they say, Bitchin' for sure. That was my favorite album that year, so go check out the Bitchin' album. And while you're at it, check out Grace Hits Volume 16. This is a song that's on that album. This is a re-recording of a song that was originally on like their first album, which was like actually a collection of two sessions. They're those old recordings. This is a new version of Hey, I'm Gonna Be Your Girl.
that was the awesome and super talented Donna's with a re-recording of Hey, I'm Gonna Be Your Girl. That's on Greatest Hits Volume 16. And I, I guess the Target commercial was the only reason they initially re-recorded that song because there's no other reason why they should edit the lyric off that says, I just want to French kiss you in place of I just want to be with you. So I'm assuming that was done strictly for the Target commercial. <laughs> And speaking of Target commercials and the Donnas, they did another one after that. If you've never seen the commercial where Tori, the drummer, does a drum-off with Bunny Carlos of Cheap Trick, go YouTube that one. That's That might be my favorite commercial ever after the Another One Bites the Dust stereo commercial. So, hey, some internet fun for you. We're all on the internet, aren't we? Yes. All right. So this one, this next one's really interesting. We're going to get back into some hard rock and metal here. There was an album, and this definitely probably means I've opened up the door and, and I'm going to have to do this episode eventually, but this was a one-off album, and it was a really cool combination. There was an album by a band called MD45, which, you know, sort of like you see some of those uh, side bands, those kind of super groups where it's like the whole band, but they replace the singer with a different singer from a different band. That's happened a couple of times with uh, like Hindu Love Gods, which was basically Warren Zevon singing for R.E.M., and then like Lard with Jello Biafra singing for Ministry. So there's been a lot of examples of it. This was basically, almost for all intents and purposes, a Megadeth album, but the lead vocals were done by Lee Ving from Fear. Really, really cool record. You need to go check that out. It was called The Craving, MD45. It's kind of out of print now, but I you can always find it in like you know your bargain bins and stuff like that. It's cheap online. The last I checked. So go check out MD45's The Craving album. Now I'm not going to play something off of that particular release. The reason being is because the album did get re-released back in the mid 2000s by Dave Mustaine. And the story was, according to him, he had just come back from that serious arm injury, which supposedly ended his career, but then he rehabilitated his arm and he learned how to play the guitar from scratch again. So he was really into playing. So basically, which is a big no-no to me, he basically went in and re-recorded his entire catalog all over again using the source tracks from the original band. And he, he did a lot of stuff that I don't agree with. He remixed his old Megadeth albums and played new leads on it. And, you know, I understand he was all excited to be playing again, but why not just make a whole bunch of new music instead of kind of George lucas your thing? But there was one great thing that came out of all those sessions is uh, when he went back in to remaster the MD-45 record, apparently the original tape got lost which was the, uh, you know, his stuff was at his studio, but apparently the other half of the album was done mostly on the East Coast uh, by Lee Ving and the original bass player on there. So they really didn't have the source material to remaster the album properly, so he took it upon himself, Dave Mustaine, to sing the album, like basically turning it into a unreleased Megadeth album. I think that was a kind of a cool idea. I always wondered what the material would sound like with Dave singing anyway, and I'm sure you heard that from some hardcore fans, so why not do it, right? So, to me, that's a tasteful re-recording. Love the original Leaving version. Uh, love this version, too. So, and both are completely different kinds of moods with the two guys singing. They're both manic singers, but 
two different approaches, two different deliveries. So this is pretty cool. This is the lead-off song. This is the, the song I would play to anybody that's hearing this album for the first time. So there you go. This is the MD-45 version with Dave Mustaine on vocals, which makes it a re-recording. This song is called Hell's Motel.
That was MD-45 with Hell's Motel. That's on the 2004 re-release of the MD-45 album, The Craving. And actually, I have a little bit of a correction. I was, hey, I was looking through the booklet while I was playing the song. I always have something to do between the records, right? The original lineup was Dave Mustaine on guitar, Kelly Lemieux on bass, Jimmy DeGrasso on drums, who wound up being Megadeth's drummer right after that original session. So, like I said, I think that makes it a Megadeth album pretty much. And you got Leaving on vocals. Leaving actually played a lot of harmonica on the original album too. So when that tape, original tape got lost for the remaster, they didn't have any of the harmonica parts on there anymore. So on this reissue, Dave Mustaine simulates the harmonica parts with his guitar. Like I said, it's two different experiences. I recommend both. There you go, MD-45. Maybe a record you never heard of until tonight. And I hope you go check it out. So moving on, uh, next one, also a band, you know, it's one of those bands you can talk about in the same breath with Megadeth. I'm going to play you a song by Anthrax. And yeah, not that I've never played Anthrax on the show before, because I know I have at least two or three times at this point, but they're one of my favorite bands, so sorry, you're going to have to deal with it. And I think they legitimately make this list for the top ten re-recordings tonight. They put out an album after their We've Come For You All album. I think they're pretty much set in the way that, like, hey, John Bush is the guy in the band. So they decided they were going to go in and re-record their Joey Belladonna songs, or at least the best of that era. But they did put an interesting twist on it. It's basically a live in the studio album. So it's almost kind of like a new live album. But the, apparently they invited, like, the top-ranking members in their fan club to be in the studio when they recorded it. So, cool move, I thought. And at the time of the recording, this is the only instance of this, but Frankie Bello had left the band to be in the new version of Helmet. So this is the only Anthrax recording that doesn't have Frank Bello on it playing bass, or at least, you know, ever since he joined the band originally, because Dan Lilliker played bass on the original album, first album, Fistful of Metal, and I think a little bit of Armed and Dangerous EP. But besides that, it's the only recording that Frank Bello does not play bass on. He was replaced by Joey Vera of Armored Saint. So, uh, much like John Bush, who was a former Armored Saint guy at the time, you had two guys from Armored Saint and three guys from Anthrax uh, doing the Joey Belladonna era stuff, re-recording it. And, you know, it's one of those things because Joey and John are such different singers. They're they're both great metal singers and great frontmen, but... They have completely different styles of voice, and I think some of those re-recordings probably suffered because of it, but I'm going to play this track because I wish, and this might be a controversial statement, but I'm not a big, as much, as big of an Anthrax fan as I am, I am not a big fan of Fistful of Metal. I'm sorry, of course the material is good, but I think the recording is bad, and you know, I, I, I don't like the original, original singer. Uh, so much so that I can't even remember his name. <laughs> and I'm going to leave that in, too, because I really can't. I don't like the album uh, because of that guy and the thin production. Uh, sue me. Uh, you know, if, if you're from the Anthrax, I'm sorry, but that that's how I feel. I wish when they had Bush in the band, they would have re-recorded the entire Fistful of Metal album. I think that would have been great. That would have been pretty cool. Maybe for the anniversary, right? And I will. I'm gonna have to cheat and look up the uh, the guy's name during the song. But for now, this is a song that was originally on their debut album, Fistful of Metal, 
This is John Bush singing it, and I think he really kills it on this. This is Death Rider. with John Bush on lead vocals doing the song that was originally recorded in 1984. That was Death Rider. I recommend that version. So out of the 10 songs I'm playing tonight, I think that's one of the two besides the Bowie one that replaces the original by far for me. So that's on an album called The Greater of Two Evils. So go check it out if you're just hungry for some more Anthrax stuff or just want a nice nice good heavy album to get a speeding ticket by <laughs> that's what they're for right all right i've played nine songs so that means it's time for the final song of the evening this is in every essence a show closer i'm gonna play a song by kiss 
Gee, you didn't see that coming, did you? Well, a few years ago, being a KISS fan was, it was kind of rough, actually, because uh, we'd heard for years and years and years and years that KISS was never going to do a new studio album ever again. So I guess around, I think it was 2008, uh, the band, I'm assuming, got a lot of money to re-record their greatest hits for a Japan-only compilation release. Because at the time it was only released in Japan under the name Jigoku Ratsuden, which translates, according to Wikipedia, translates to Intense Transmission from Hell. So, the Kiss go back in, re-record, you know, what they consider their 15 best songs or biggest hits with their current lineup at the time. Paul Stanley, Gene Simmons, Tommy Thayer, and Eric Singer. So it was the studio debut of that lineup. And, of course, as KISS fans will be, it was met with a mixed reaction. <laughs> uh, I There are things that I like about it and things I don't like about it. I think the performances are very good. Um, but, you know, like it, you know, it's here and there. It, it, sometimes the songs will come on my shuffle on the iPod, let's say. And, you know, I usually don't skip them. I, I think that they're, they don't offend me or anything. I know there's a lot of vocal fans, quote-unquote fans, that just trash things like this, but, you know, the fact that, you know, as big of a KISS fan as I am, I'm not blind enough to just out-and-out love something like this, so I went in there with my arms crossed, and, you know, like I said, I didn't hate it, but I didn't love it, but there's something really cool about it. My favorite part of the album, for sure, has to be the performance of Black Diamond, because the song originally was on the very first Kiss album, 1974, and the original lead vocal was done by Peter Chris. Well, Peter was not in the band at this time, and it's traditionally the drummer's song to sing, as even when Peter left and it was replaced by Eric Carr, Eric Carr sang it live, and then when Eric Singer joined the band, he eventually wound up singing it live after a few years. So I was very excited you know, either way, it would have been interesting. If Paul had just sung the song, it would have been an interesting performance, but I really like that this is the uh, vocal debut on a Kiss album by Eric Singer. So, here you go. And Eric Singer is a great singer. The guy could lead his own band if he wanted to. So he's one of them singing drummers. There's not a lot of them out there, but he's one of them, and he's the best, in my opinion. So here you go. This is Kiss with Eric Singer on vocals with a re-recording of their classic Black Diamond. Out on the street for a living Which is only begun Got you under their thumb Hit it! Sorrow in my name 
Alright, that one's going to take us home tonight. That was Kess featuring Eric Singer on lead vocals with a re-recording of Black Diamond that was originally on the album Jagoko Ratsuden. You can easily find that, though, the entire Jagoko Ratsuden re-recording greatest hits that's the bonus disc on every copy of Sonic Boom, the album that came out about three years ago now. And thankfully, they got a new one coming out this year, so I'm very excited about it. So. There you go. Big Kiss fan. Big Kiss nerd. I'm sure there's a lot of you out there, but hey, for those of you who aren't, come along with us. It's a lot of fun. So there you go. And like I said, I'm really surprised. Uh, you know, I kind of laughed it off when I was like, oh, let's let's play re-recordings. And I was going to play bad ones and just piss everybody off. But I was like, you know what? There's actually some good ones out there. So I'm glad I took the time to compile them for you tonight. I really hope that you liked them. Let me know. Let me know what the scoreboard is for you. I, and be honest, too, because, you know, I, I need that. I need that here. And the way you can do that is to go to cnjradio.com. Uh, I guess uh, my partner there, Chris, I think he might have done something really cool with the website and made it to where your comments can be posted now. At least that's what I've seen on here. I haven't heard from him about it, but I guess he just did it. So, awesome. Because uh, I saw some on there today, and I was excited. So... Go to cnjradio.com. You will find uh, Rock Strikes 10 along with the rebooted Wrestling House show, which I'm excited about. You pro wrestling fans, go check that out also. And uh, as far as Rock Strikes 10 is concerned, all the links are on there on the page every time. The Facebook link, the iTunes link, go subscribe. Go leave that review on iTunes. Like us on Facebook and spread that word. Whenever a new episode posts, all you got to do is hit share. Let them know you're listening. That would mean so much to me. Let me know you do it. I will give you a personal shout-out on the show. That's the best I can do right now until I can start bribing people. We'll see. So thank you for tuning in, everybody, to the show tonight. And uh, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you what's going on next week. I'm going to put out two shows next week, and they, they tie into the same thing, but they'll be completely different. I'm very excited because I'm a big Van Halen fan. Next week is the first new album with David Lee Roth since 1984. I mean, wow. But it's out next week, so I will tell you the next episode is going to be a complete Van Halen-centric episode. I'm going to do another artist focus. I've done some at this point, but I feel it's time to do another one. I got a request for it by Todd Cunningham. Todd, happy to do it. So that's the next episode. You're going to get my personal Van Halen episode. If you're not a fan, please tune into it anyway because I'm not going to play the same songs you've heard a billion times. There'll be a nice twist to it. Play some album tracks. We're going to go into the family tree a little bit. It's going to be a lot of fun. And the one after that, well, you'll just have to see. It's inspired by Van Halen, but it's not going to be all Van Halen. Just wait and see. It's not what you think. So once again, thanks for tuning in to Rock Strikes 10. Tell your friends. Keep rocking.